from the city of brotherly love, this is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, this episode is brought to you by our fabulous sponsor and SAP Global Platinum Partner, Sador. That's S-E-I-D-O-R. If your business is ready to move off QuickBooks, you know, take that next step up to really automate all those business processes and dump Excel, give Sador a call or just reach out to me. We'll help you get the system automated quick easy, and you can get an ROI faster than you can count to three. Now let's get back to today's episode. We're going to chat about leveling up your e-commerce and get a brand new passive revenue stream. Sound too good to be true? That's what I thought because, you know, you think it's one of those get rich quick schemes. It's actually not. And there's a lot of data analytics, business intelligence all behind it. I think you're going to be amazed. So, Who do we have today? None other than Will Basta. Will Basta is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and venture capitalist. He is the co-founder of Ascendicom, an eight-figure e-commerce investment management and logistic company based out of Los Angeles, California, with over 500 clients and $50 million in revenue within three years. He has a real estate portfolio of $7 million, with five rental properties in Venice, California, and international investments in the financial hospitality sectors. He also invests in clean water projects internationally. So hey, without further delay, let's bring our buddy Will right on in here. Personal growth. Well, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, no problem. Glad to have you here. So, we have a tradition on the show. Very first question we ask every single person What's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How'd you get there? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes Will Will. Got it. I'll try to, to, to not take up the whole podcast here with the intro. So I'll keep it on the cliff note side of things. Um, I was born and raised in upstate New York, went to university out in Arizona, um, started my career in the technology startup world, um, health technology specifically. Uh, while doing that in a WD position, I was always sort of interested. I think there's a lot of parallels between the startup environment and entrepreneurialism, sort of not having a predictable um, what's going to, what's going to happen Monday, what's going to happen Tuesday, what's going to happen in an hour kind of thing that kind of, or even predictable revenue. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And so I was always sort of addicted to the, to the unknown in a way. Um, and so I was always pretty much investing and experimenting with, you know, entrepreneurial ventures on the side that led me into, um, primarily into the e-commerce space where I got involved a little bit earlier in Amazon had my failures there, had my successes, got to learn the back end of Amazon pretty well. Um, started a digital marketing agency, um, which lasted for a couple of years. Just to be clear, when you say Amazon, are you talking about selling on Amazon or actually working for Amazon? Yeah, sorry to not clarify that. So actually being a third-party seller on the platform, um, which you know I got to learn a lot about how the system works and they make 50% or more of their, their e-commerce revenue from third-party sellers, which most people don't really realize. So 
that being said, I was still working in the tech world during this period of time. And then my business partner and I uh, essentially decided to do a market test. There were companies that were coming out that were providing Amazon seller services management as a service, sort of like a done for you. You want to invest, we'll handle your Amazon account and grow it for you. Um, but the problem was, is that we noticed that there was a lot of organizations out there that seemed like they didn't really have it together. And it was a sort of fairly the wild west when it comes down to this as a service. So we did a market test, invested in about three different um, organizations, found that there's a huge gap in the industry, but an awesome model with great potential. Took that and said, hey, we can do this better. Um, and that was about three years ago, started our own organization and did everything sort of in a different manner, filled in all the gaps that we saw in the industry infrastructure-wise, ethic-wise. We can dive into this a little bit later, but essentially um, that's where Ascend Ecom, the company that I now am a co-founder of, started. Um, and that is my baby. That's about 95% of what I do, minus alternative investing in real estate and stuff like that. Um, we've got about uh, over 500 clients, hundreds of employees, two warehouse facilities in Dallas, Texas, um, an office here in Los Angeles where I'm currently located. Um, and we do millions of revenue for investors. and it's a partnership that's based off performance. So we split, um, depending on the tier they invest in, we, we share in the, the net profits that we generate for our clients. And that's essentially how it works at a high level. If, if I'm hearing this correctly, it sounds like you make a living by helping others make a living. Is that roughly right? Yeah, except the only, the only different differentiating factor there is that the investors that are, we're making money for are generally already financially comfortable. So this is sort of an, an additional investment for them to, to pretty much add and you know, augment another revenue stream to what they're currently doing, right? It doesn't replace or, or it doesn't replace an entire career, right? I mean, eventually it potentially could, but um, our investors are financially comfortable. So we're just, we're adding supplementary income um, for people. And we make money off doing that. You know, I think the the new American dream is kind of like, oh, passive income streams and really just having additional income coming in that is passive for them. How easy or hard is it for people to get true passive income streams these days? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not easy. Uh, if something is presented to you and, and and they are saying, or whatever that ad might be, or person you're speaking to is projecting passive income as being very, 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 very easy to obtain. Um, no, it's not. Um, that's why people come. It, it also depends on the industry and what you're sort of investing in, right? Um, so the reasons why it's not is because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, to do it yourself in an industry that you don't know, um, there's going to be a lot of hiccups there before it becomes passive, right? So if you're partnering with someone who's already proven that model out multiple times, that's where it could become easy. I mean, that's what we do. We provide a premium service for people who don't have time and the expertise in our space. And so they invest with us and we handle the entire thing for them and build them a passive income business. It comes with a cost, obviously, right? Um, and then you can look at other things. I mean, there's crypto that can be looked at, not just investing in crypto, but there's ways to do certain things like that, which could be passive, but you need to be very, very cognizant about and, and diligent about who you're speaking to, who you're learning from, and what kind of programs you're investing in. So it could be easy in some sense, but you have to tread very, very lightly and be very, very diligent in terms of what you're investing in, what questions you ask ahead of time, how you're investing, just because there's so much stuff out there and only a small per percentage of it is actually authentic. 
um, and actually brings true results. Yeah, you know, crypto, you mentioned, that's a, a weird market place right now. I mean, it's kind of like we're in a crypto winter. You have everything around FTX, you know, and all those other companies. I, I've got to ask you, since you brought it up, you know, what do you think the future of crypto is? I mean, do you think with everything that has gone on, it's going to be the collapse of crypto? Or do you think it's something that will rebound and is here to stay? For sure. I'm obviously not an expertise in this space, but I brought that up primarily because people, there's a lot of layers in decentralized, decentralized finance that people don't really know about that you can make money off with crypto, even if the market's down, like nodes and and certain things that are are very complex, but actually can generate passive income. If my personal outlook on crypto in general, there's a lot of of, of bluff out there in the blockchain and, and crypto space, but I'm a believer in Bitcoin. I'm a believer in a lot of the the, the coins that are have great projects behind them. I think um, cryptocurrency is here to stay. Um, it's very, very new, but, uh, I think if you look behind the scenes and do your D and look at the real literature, all the major financial institutions are, are getting involved because they know it's, it's here to stay. So they, no one just wants, they don't want to project that publicly. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, the right cryptocurrency projects are definitely going to be around for as long as we're living. I believe, um, it's just, again, an, it's a sea that's filled with you know, inauthentic and uh, poorly put together projects, um, which tend to flood the system and cause issues like this and cause people to lose money, right? So again, you need to be diligent. But long term, uh, I mean, I invest, I, I invest in Bitcoin regularly on a monthly basis. Um, so because I, I believe not, I'm way more, you know, diligent about other coins or projects. That's a whole different conversation to me. But Bitcoin in general, Big believer in that. You know, one thing that's interesting is we had a guest on our show. His name was, uh, I'm going to chop it up because it's a while since I said it, but it's like Vit Jedlik, uh, something like that. He's the president of Micronation Liberland. And what he said was, you know, United States, they did a great thing with democracy, but hasn't really changed that much since the U.S. came out with our Constitution, stuff like that. And he calls that democracy 1.0. So in Liberland, what they did was what they call democracy 2.0. And every vote, every law, everything like that that passes is done through the blockchain. And I thought that that was an awesome use of the technology because it's very transparent. You can see, you know, exactly how many votes there were for something, how many vetoed something. I, I mean, I thought that was very innovative. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, there's companies out there that, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could look at cryptocurrency in general, right? I, I the, the projects behind it, which are similar to like something like that, I think is awesome, right? Being able to have transparency and stuff and stuff like that, of which was not already there and democratizing a lot of things. Um, this isn't just a push on a certain project, but there is a coin called Ecta and, and I, and the project behind it, I really believe in a lot of stuff like that because they're, they're essentially bringing access um, to the regular person, right? That's the goal behind it is, 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 you know, we, we've had depending, and you can even look at, you can look at, I mean, the majority of the, the world right now and people who have access to 
smartphones over other things. And these are going to be ways to be able to bring financial, um, not freedom, but financial capabilities to marginalized communities through digital currency, right? Which I think is the the big thing here right now. It's it's the, the there's always going to be some regulation. Eventually, it's going to come into place. That's just the nature of it, right? Um, right now, it's the wild west, and I think there should be a little bit. I I'm for the most part, I'm against regulation, but seeing how crypto has gone the last few years, again, FTX, big example. You know, or so many of those ICOs that were just pretty much scams and stuff like that. Or there's so many coins out there. I mean, the biggest criticism against crypto is, oh, you know, they don't do anything. And that's not true because there are coins out there that actually do have some real world function. Now, that's not every coin, but there are some that do offer real world functionality. I kind of feel that, and again, this goes against what I personally believe, but I do think that it's time that we start regulating uh, Bitcoin and crypto as a currency um, instead of, as of right now in the U.S., it's regulated as an asset. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Should we regulate it as a currency or should we regulate it more as a stock and stock trading? Because I almost view that a lot of these cryptos, when they do have something that they stand behind, that that is an alternative way of having a stock market. It's an alternative stock, essentially, that you're purchasing that you can spend 24-7 at the click of your screen on a phone, whereas a stock you've got to do within certain hours and stuff like that. I think it's a stock 2.0, in my opinion. That's my, my true belief uh, more than currency. Where do you stand on that part of it? That's a good question. Um, and it's honestly, I think it's also so early to pick a side on that. That's my sort of thought on it. I think it's just such, it's an infancy stage right now and it's adapting so much and the adoption is, is growing at the rate of internet adoption. If you look at the trend of, of internet being adopted over the last 20 years, it's literally pretty much on the exact same trajectory as the internet. (laughs) Um, and with that and growth comes so many different like iterations and just things that change. So like I'd have to answer that question and, and sort of be the Switzerland on that and be like, I, I, I'm in the middle. Yeah. Cause there's so many pump and dump schemes and, and stuff like that. It's early. Totally. Way too many of them. We've seen stuff like that happen. I mean, Luna was like a very rough situation too. <laughs> that happens, you know, about, you know, I mean, we don't need to dig into that too deep, but like there's, there's just, there's obviously a lot of people are worried about it right now, given what's happened recently, right? Um, but then we see the the jump recently in Bitcoin, right? So like, it's this is the nature of the way these things are. Um, that's I think it's a risky time to get involved in all these unknown coins where you can have a hybrid, just like doing penny stocks, right? If you look at it as a stock thing, it's like, yeah, I mean, you can go up ten thousand percentage, and then you can also lose all of your money, right? That's you do that at your own thing. <laughs> um, I I'm just I'm taking I take a very long term approach to things. So I put my emphasis on the Bitcoin and maybe a ecosystem of like five to ten coins that are around that. And that's all I'm worrying about right now. I'm gonna let everything play its way out a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, it's tough in terms of regulation and how it can be looked at. I, we have to see how, which ones are around, right? Because it's going to be a lot less in the next couple of years. I think a lot of them came onto the scene and a lot of them are falling off the scene. One area I think we both can agree with and remember, neither of us are financial advisors. We're just two dudes talking shop and crypto uh, is only invest what you expect or can afford to lose. Now you may end up winning it big, but it, only invest what you can lose. Don't don't mortgage your house on Dogecoin thinking that it's going to go up to a dollar. Definitely not. That is that is one hundred and one the way to approach it. Um, that's always how crypto should be. I, the money that I put in crypto, even Bitcoin, which I, I think is pretty stable in terms of like it going to always go up eventually, um, but. I put in, you know, side, extra side liquid, liquidity that I have, liquid that I have. That's just, I could almost not have it. <laughs> the amount that I put in monthly is just money that is, is or almost, I don't want to say irrelevant, but like if I lost it, it wouldn't affect my daily life. Like if you, if you lost it, if you didn't have that money, it would not break you. That's what you're trying to say. Exactly. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. So let's talk a little bit more about the, about your business and exactly what you all do, because, you know, I do love it. I found your portfolio to be quite impressive. And I try to bring my guests the best of the best of the best. And you definitely fall in that field. So let's talk uh, some tough questions for you. Okay. How do you build your assets for the investors? How do you do that? Say I'm giving you a hundred grand and it's like, hey, I want passive income, but I'm too lazy to do it myself. How are you going to turn my hundred grand into passive income? So we take, we essentially, let's just focus on Amazon here. Um, we do have a, a one business offering that's not a hundred, but it's about 90. Um, that's our highest tier for one business. And essentially what we do, you own the business outright. so. The reason why you would invest with us is because we have the infrastructure, the experience in the team, right? So you're, you're essentially sort of like franchising out a proven model um, in a way. Uh, we are a logistics company and a wholesale distributor for products. On top of that, we manage these assets and grow them, right? Uh, they are digital assets. They are forms of real estate, uh, e-commerce, and a successful e-commerce store definitely appreciates in value over time as it grows, right? Um, someone invests money with us. We get it set up the first month. Takes about six weeks to get that Amazon account live. Then we use, you know, so much different kinds of data to source products at exclusive rates. Um, send them to our warehouse, and then and then prepare them to send to Amazon's warehouse, or we fulfill them from our warehouse directly to a customer. Um, if we send them to Amazon's warehouse, it's an Amazon Prime product. If we fulfill it out of our warehouse, right? So that's that 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 would be like a FBA fulfilled by Amazon, then, right? That's a FBA. We do FBA and FBM. We mix both of them because our fulfillment services are actually um, extremely efficient, and we have um, exclusive rates with DHL, FedEx, and UPS. So we can actually do next day and two day shipping for clients for heavy items um, at a cheaper rate than Amazon can. Um, because Amazon takes a big chunk, but you do get the premiere and the access to the prime customers, right? But not everyone's a prime customer. So we like to, to make sure that we're mitigating, we're covering, a, we're casting a wider net in terms of customer base that you can actually sell to. So the point is, if you fast forward six months in, we're selling on both of those fulfillment models. And it takes about six months to get past the initial baby stages of the business 
months six to 12 is when we really start to kick the business into gear. Um, six to 12 since its first sale. So when you get your first sale in your store, which is about three months in, we're handling all of this for the client, mind you. They, they spend about two hours in the first month. And then the rest of it is being a financial driver of the business and checking in um, when they'd like to, while we handle absolutely everything on our end, right? Um, so if you fast forward to a year down the line, um, roughly 12 to 14 months, depending upon the working capital, the client is injecting into the business and depending on a few different factors, um, they could be close to being breaking even on their investment and or would have broken even on their investment. So they would have made that back at that point. And that's since their first sale. So if you sign today, you get your first sale in three months, let's fast forward 12 months, 12 to 14 months from there. That's, you know, 15, about a year, year and a half in ish. This is at a conservative level, right? That's a lot quicker of a break even than someone who invests into real estate or anything else like that. Um, you know what I mean? So you have to look at it that way. So people have to be comfortable and know that they're going to invest this money and they're going to make their ROI on that roughly about a year or so. Um, and then after that, that is going to be generating passive income at a biweekly rate for them. And then we can look at ways on advancing that business for them. Okay. Okay. Understood. So I, um, you know, I don't want to spill your, your special sauce, but what type of products are you typically talking about? Can you talk about that at all? Or is that something that, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't give this, I mean, there's, we've got 500 clients. We've got, we're selling tens of thousands of different products. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, it, it's there's categories, right? But it's all data driven. If you look at John Doe's store six months down the line and say he's got 12 products on that store, he could be selling pumpkin seeds, he could be selling pans, he could be selling Elmer's glue. It could be a mix of everything, right? Um, it's ultimately what we can source it at. What does the competitive landscape look like? What is trending? Um, what are we able to sort of sneak in and become the category leader at? Um, and then what do we think predictive analytics of what is actually going to be selling? Categories that are growing really fast, food categories on Amazon because the necessities are important, especially during an economic downturn. We're not just selling Barbie dolls. We're selling things that people need, right? So they don't want to go take the bus to the grocery store. They don't want I me mean, to drive to the grocery store or whatever. Whoever's buying online, they can just buy it on Amazon. It's there in a day or two days, right? Um, so food's growing, wellness products, obviously booming, um, automotive. There are certain things that um, are restricted categories, which we unrestrict for our clients and get them to sell in. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, specific brands, I can't think of anything directly off the top of my head, but we've sold, done really well with Dyson vacuums, which we've been able to source at a good rate, Sonos speakers. Yeah. So stuff like that. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So, I mean, you, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but give me your, your top three secrets as far as becoming successful on Amazon, say I'm out there and I want to try, I don't know, I just make my own coffee brand. I got it sourced. I do the bags and I want to sell my original themed zombie ish coffee on Amazon. What would be like the top three tips that I need to look at being a seller on Amazon? Yeah. I mean, there's different things. I mean, we focus on wholesale. So a lot of it is, is products that are already branded that sell well already that are just, we just get contracted to be able to resell them. You're talking more about the private label side, which we do as well, but that's normally an add-on to someone's wholesale business. So if you want to build your own brand around a product, which we do for clients, um, 
the way that we go with that is is they're not like yeah we can go in a direction if they want to go down to the coffee range we can see what we can pull out of it it's a pretty saturated market though so like ultimately like we do the the, the research on a specific, a product from a, a product from three different categories we present it to the client and they can build a brand around that because it's really data intensive but if you're not going with us and that's what you want to really do regardless um if you're coming into it and you have a passion for that coffee and you want to do something in a certain direction, honestly, you have to have capital for ad spend. Um, you have to have a very, very good fulfillment partner because you don't want to just focus on FBA because your margins will be a lot lower if it's just Amazon fulfilling it. So you want to have a good prep center and fulfillment center that you can partner with. Uh, infrastructure is huge on that side, right? Um, and you want to have good money for it. So fulfillment partner is very important. Um, definitely make sure you have deep pockets for marketing spend, um, and be aware that it might not make a huge impact the first three months. It's all about collecting data with marketing, right. And then using that to retarget for PPC ads and stuff like that on Amazon. Um, I would also recommend, um, opening up a Shopify business as well, where you can get brand recognition and then push it to Amazon as well. So when people do private label, if it's really want to boom that brand, have your own private website with that brand. Also have an Amazon version of it, right? Um, so you can drive organic traffic to Amazon, but also you are you have you need to have an Instagram page. It's all about brand recognition, knowing that you're legitimate. Someone sees your brand on Amazon, they want to make sure that they can go on, you know, Google and and see that you have an IG page and you're an established brand. You're not some bogus company from like China that's just like rebranding it and doesn't really have any kind of present. Speaking of that, I hate when I buy something and it comes from China. Nothing wrong with it coming from China, but when I buy something on Amazon and it's from China, I would prefer that it's already in the United States. Nothing drives me more bonkers than something odd that I really need. And it's coming from China, but literally coming from China. And I've got to wait six to eight weeks until it arrives. Yeah, you need to definitely, as a, as a buyer, a consumer, be looking at the ship time because, yeah, you, you'll know instantly if, it, if, it, if, it's, if, it's under, if it's over a week, it's not in the U.S., Essentially, that's, that's, your, that's, your, that's your marker. If it's Amazon Prime, it's in the US. That's one thing I've noticed too. And a lot of people have noticed this as well. I've seen it trending on Twitter, you know, Facebook. Uh, Two-day shipping with Amazon is not as frequent now as it used to be. That used to be the main driver to sign up for Prime for uh, two-day shipping. I'm telling you, I mean, on the occasional day that I get a package maybe overnight delivery or something like that. Most of my deliveries nowadays are taking anywhere four to seven days to arrive and they're US based ship. What is going on with Amazon? Is that part of their carbon neutral thing of trying to cut down on carbon emissions or what's going on with that? Two day delivery does not feel existent anymore. Yeah, it's there, but it's it's it also depends where you're located. Obviously, if you're in a hub city, you're going to get a lot more access to that. But essentially, when someone sends a product in to be as a seller, if you're sending it in Amazon to be fulfilled by Amazon, it goes to a facility, and that facility distributes it out distributes it out to an Amazon FBA center based on like almost like a heat map of like where that product sells the most, and it's regionally close enough for two day shipping. Um, 
I think that there's a supply chain issue in terms of higher costs. So it's delayed things in general with Amazon. Um, and that just ends up bottlenecking and backing things up. Um, it's a spillover probably from Q4, December, which is the highest um, you know, e-commerce time of the year. I think they'll probably get back on track or they might reduce it and turn, and turn Prime into two to four day or something. Um, the beauty about what we do and what we're doing so for our clients, which ties into that is when we do fulfill by merchant, which is when we're fulfilling it, we use UPS and we use FedEx and we do overnight and two day guaranteed. And we can list that. We can list that on, not for every product, but for some of the products on the client store. And we can list that and it not be a prime product. Prime product saying four days. Our, our client's product is not prime, but it's saying two days. And it gets two days from UPS. And we do it at a cheap enough rate that we have these contracts with these um, companies that it ends up outselling Amazon and people actually go to the non-prime product over the prime product because Amazon can't handle their shipping correctly. And that's for sure the case in Hawaii. We are targeting consumers in Hawaii because Amazon's never had really two-day shipping. They don't really have a good, you know, you know, grasp on Hawaii yet for people who purchase. Yeah. And so we can send a someone buys a microwave on our toaster oven and and they're located in Hawaii. Um, we can send it directly from our Dallas fulfillment center to Hawaii in two days literally at a capped rate for our clients. So the margins are high and the volume of sales go up when Amazon takes six. So like that's our focus as a company this year. It's not to take over Amazon because they're going to be number one no matter what and it's Amazon, right? But to fill in the gaps that Amazon is, is starting to lack at, which is shipping time. So people want stuff quicker. Humans are impatient. Consumers are impatient. Um, and if we can sort of fill that void. Sometimes you need things in, in a hurry, you know? It's, I mean, sometimes you actually need stuff fast. And it's like, okay, well, Prime is being inconsistent. I'll go to this non-Prime where it does still say two-day shipping on Amazon. Why not? Why not go in that direction? And our goal is to make up a lot of revenue for clients by being able to provide that shipping for consumers on their store, which will in turn have a downstream effect of the volume of sales and being product, product category leaders and, and their store growing to the extent because it's all an algorithm in the back end with amazon it's like your store does well gets shipping on time does really really well and that that success compounds and then you end up being a seller that's premiered consistently you're getting more views which means more sales which means a, a, a business that's appreciating at a faster rate that's making you more money and then everyone wins essentially so overall would you say that i mean again this is one of those nuanced questions because you have to put the work into it. Nothing comes for life for free. Now, obviously, companies that contract you, they're paying you to do the work. But even if they're paying you, they still have to be somewhat involved at some level, even if it's just a high level check in to make sure things are going good. But would you say, you know, on a high level that e-commerce investments are pretty safe? Yeah, it, 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 e-commerce is very general, right? I think the safest is is Amazon um, because you don't really need ad spend. You're going, you're you're co-tailing off the foot traffic, right? Shopify, you need ad spend. When you probably want to need ads, it becomes a little more risky, right? So it depends on where you are financially. Um, I think if you have the right partner in the space, we guarantee everyone's investment too. So there's a guarantee on the inv upfront investment. So it can be secure in that sense, right? What what kind of upfront investment range do you have? Give our customers an idea. Because I know a lot of people are thinking like, hey, this might be an option for me to start off a side business. What range are we talking about? Yeah, 20K is an entry level. 
Then we have a 45K package, a 60, a 75, and a 90. All of them have a lot of different bells and whistles that are inclusive of it and, and models that are added to it. Um, so sort of one for everyone, I'd say. 20 is really entry level. We don't really sell too many of those. Our most popular are probably the 45 and the 90. So one of each side of the spectrum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, no, people fall in the middle sometimes, but it's either like, you know, the 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 basic regular tier of the 45 or the premier VIP one, which is the 95. But essentially that's it. Um, we also provide 0%. Yeah, let's circle back to our crypto conversation from earlier. Say you do have your own, like you're doing Amazon, but you're also doing a Shopify store too, okay? You can easily sign up with, uh, I believe, Coinbase or whatever as far as accepting payments in crypto, okay? Like you can sign up like, hey, I only want to uh, accept Bitcoin, for example. Do you recommend that or don't recommend that? Because, you know, say you're selling $100 worth of product overnight, that $100 worth of Bitcoin could be worth $40. But again, six months from now, that $100 worth of Bitcoin could be worth $300. You know what I mean? It depends. It, yeah, it depends on the volume and the scale of what you're transacting with. Uh, I... I uh, if crypto is going to be accepted, it should be USDT just because it's a stable coin. Um, mm -hmm. And like, and make, people might just have more money in their crypto account. Um, and so they just want to use that as a means of uh, paying. Bitcoin, I, I don't, it depends on the volume we're talking about, right? Um, because <laughs> it is highly fluctuating. So depending on what kind of vendor you are and what you're selling, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. I personally would not have our company accept it. Even if it's Bitcoin itself and you, you've already admitted how much you do with Bitcoin. But we just do so much volume. So there's just so much money getting put in and out that like- you, you could lose a lot of money overnight. Yeah, that it's also like, it's also the security of our clients too. We have a guarantee in place. So we have internal insurance policies that are part of that. And if we have a highly potentially fluctuating currency that's coming in, then that's going to put our clients' money at risk, which, which is something we don't do. Um, if it was all our money, then it'd be a different scenario, right? Um, but that's not the case, right? We don't want to play with anyone's money and invest with us. So um, USDT would be the stable version of that and, and maybe one-off scenarios where people want to pay, but I, don't, I wouldn't open up the floodgates. Right, right, right. Understood. So I have one last question before we roll out of here. And you... You've talked about this throughout the interview, but we didn't really get into some nitty gritty details. Maybe now let's show off your da uh, data analyst scientific hat and give us some real life examples of how data is actually leveraged on profitable products. Tell us that some of that secret stuff about how you leverage the data to make, you know, to make more sales. Yeah, I mean, essentially, there's a lot of, and I, I don't have my expert product research guys on this call, so I can, I'll speak high level because they, they know way deeper into the multiple layers, but we look at historical data, right? So what have the sales been on these products historically, 6, 12, 24 months, et cetera? Is it a common product that's constantly being sold, right? Um, predictive data. What are people searching trend-wise? What, what is the most common searches on Amazon? You can pull these kind of things up, right? When are people starting to search more? What's the increase in, in searchability for certain products, right? Um, what does the, um, the competitors who are selling the product, what is the health of their store, okay? What is their store rating out? What kind of inventory levels do they have? Um, uh, and then we have seasonal data. What sells at certain times of the year? It's, you know, basically 
you know, warm weather stuff that sells around spring, et cetera. You combine all this data in an aggregate manner, and then you pull out results from that with risk profiles. Um, and those risk profiles, depending upon where the business is at, how long it's been on the platform that we're selling it on, what else is selling on their platform, you know, what is our client's store health? It's all these kind of things play into it. And then we make decisions on what to purchase based on that. So those factors all come into one as an aggregate form. And we have low risk and high risk products. High risk might have a higher return. So some clients have a little bit of higher risk tolerance because they have way more working capital. We will sell through more, we'll sell through all the products regardless, but a high risk product might not be, might fly off the shelf or it might stick around a little bit longer, which is not ideal for some people. But at the end of the day, if it has a huge potential ROI, they'll take that risk, right? Um, so those are the sort of surface level things we look at. And obviously there's a lot more to that, but that's generally what we bring together. We use five different softwares. We scrub also um, client data because we've been doing this for three years. So what have we seen aggregate wise of all of our clients do um, and what's sort of happening? We're not selling the same stuff on any client store either. So no cannibalism on product sourcing, but we use the data to see what's next. Um, and to know what we what is going to do well regardless. Okay, okay. Hey, whoa. Hey, this was awesome. This was a great chat, man. You gave us a lot of good info, a lot of good tidbits. Please do me a favor. Tell me where people can find out more about Will Basta and also your business, Ascend. Uh, where can we find you online? Give us all the details. Totally, www.ascendecom.com. It's A-S-C-E-N-D-E-C-O-M.com. That's our main website. You can book a call with our team there if you want to learn. It's an educational call. So the intro calls to sort of see if, you know, it makes sense to have another call, right? Let's learn about your background. It's not really sales. We're not like that. It's a partnership at the end. Um, our Instagram, we post almost every day. And that's ascend underscore ECOM, A-S-E-N-D underscore ECOM, our YouTube, Ascend Ecom. So all three of those channels are, are used the most by us. A lot of information about the industry, a lot of information about what we're doing live clips of our warehouse, stuff that's happening happening constantly. Clips of this podcast will probably be posted. Awesome. Hey, really awesome stuff here. Uh, Will, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been amazing. And uh, I'm sure you've taught a lot of people that watch this a lot of things. Thank you so much, my man. Thanks for having me, man. Hope to chat again soon. Yeah, same here. Cheers. Wow, that was a great chat with Will, right? You loved it. First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked some warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know shark bite biz is one of the greatest kept secrets in the entire small business world in fact we were just nominated one of the top 12 small business podcasts out there today please do us a favor share us out friends family colleagues anywhere that you dwell on the interwebs facebook twitter linkedin minds rumble macedon i don't care just share it so that people like Ascendecom, Will Basta, and Sharkbite Biz can get the word out there and spread the knowledge that we're creating. Sharkbite Biz is an incredible, incredible journey of personal growth, professional growth, and of course, business growth all into one. This is like a huge masterclass, and we're at 190 episodes. Gotta love it. Now, let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Mr. Will Basta. I don't want you to mix you know will with other 
get rich quick schemes. I mean, I kind of said that in the intro, but his way to financial freedom and creating that extra revenue is a different push than a lot of those, again, quote unquote, get rich quick schemes don't push. His company specializes in data in analytics, in research, in data intelligence, analytics, uh, you know, ROI, uh, all those types of things that you would expect. And what they do is they kind of suggest like, hey, look, there's a great category right here. And we think that if you invest in this, you can easily become a category leader. Okay, one area that he mentioned that kind of caught my intrigue was food as a growing industry in Amazon. And I've got to say, hey, that's so, so true. Amazon has slowly been creeping into the food industry ever since, even before they purchased Whole Foods. But you know, they've never fully got there. I remember during the pandemic where I used to live before they had Amazon Fresh, I would get some Amazon Fresh deliveries because, you know, beginning of the pandemic, everybody was trying to stay in. We also had COVID in the beginning of the pandemic. So for like the first month, we isolated in the house. But outside of that, you know, it it slowly started to trickle off. Now I have Walmart Plus where I live and I typically do Walmart Plus because the new house doesn't have Amazon, you know, same day delivery, Amazon Fresh, whatever it's called. But the point is, is that food is becoming ever and ever more a service that people use, that they buy online, either because they're going to pick it up in person or get it delivered. More than likely delivery, because I think a lot of people realize during the pandemic, hey, you know, my commute, both ways is two hours. If I'm working from home, I'm saving two hours a day on travel. Well, guess what? They're also kind of feeling that way with grocery shopping too. They already know what they want. It's just the process of actually ordering it and, you know, crossing your fingers that the Amazon or Walmart or whoever, you know, is shopping your delivery actually picks you know, good broccoli, for example, uh, not expired milk, stuff like that. And then it gets delivered within a reasonable time. But overall, with what Will is pitching and, you know, the whole offer to me, it sounds realistic. Now, you have to remember, again, I said this before, I'll say it again. I am not a financial advisor. Do not listen to me to where you should put your money. Unless, of course, it's with Sador and SAP. But besides that, you know, don't listen to me for revenue streams. But I am an entrepreneur. I do know business. And I am a subject matter expertise, an authority per se, in the world of business. And that's where I can say From everything that Will told us in our brief interview, it does sound like it is a strong possibility that it is a wise move if you're looking to start a business that, you know, does this type of activities. And I really think, you know, hearing how all the data plays out, the projections, the ROI, you know, it's hard to turn down an agency like this. If I was looking to do this right now in my life, I would be highly considering Will, and if you are, give him a call. It 
doesn't uh doesn't hurt check them out anyways awesome stuff will thank you so much for coming on and sharing how you are helping people grow their income by creating a whole new revenue stream for them you rock my man question of the day what do you think of will's approach logical or too good to be true? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Do you want to be on the show? If so, please, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. It's $3 a month. You can become a baby shark. If not, please, please, please check out our amazing sponsor, the SAP Platinum Partner, Sador, S-E-I-D-O-R. If your company is running QuickBooks, that should be a red flag, especially if you're a 50 or $100 million a year revenue company on QuickBooks. Come on, it's not a gap compliance system. Let's get you off that. Let's get you up to the next step, whether it's SAP Business One, SAP Business by Design, or even S4 HANA Public Cloud. We got something for you, businesses of all shapes and sizes. So please reach out to them, Sador, S-E-I-D-O-R, and thank you again for your sponsorship. Y'all know this by now, but I'll say it again. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Fight Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.